We're continuing our series, and today Jesus is going to give one of his most famous claims or declarations, that he is the light of the world. And with that claim, there's going to be a hotly debated contest from the religious leaders, and it's a claim that's still being debated today. So if you could, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8, or it's going to be up on your screens here. We're going to be in verses 12 to 30 today. Hear the word of the Lord for us. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and my Father, the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am a going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I'm going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have sent from, uh, heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Well, you may sit down. This is God's word for us today. Let's pray as we seek to understand and apply it to our lives. Father in heaven, we are grateful that you have revealed yourself to us through your holy word. And today, Lord, we want to know what it means to follow the light of the world, your son, Jesus. So open our eyes, convict us, challenge us, and comfort us by your holy word. We pray that in the power of Jesus. Amen. Well, there's a good chance that at some point in your life, you've been scared of the dark. Some of you don't want to admit it, but but it is true. Some of you in this room are still scared of the dark 
right now, and that's totally fine. I remember when I was a kid, I was scared of the dark, and I used to tell my parents to just leave the door open so that I could see the little light in the hallway so I wouldn't be quite all in darkness. But the question is, why are we scared of the darkness? Why can we be scared of the darkness? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons, potential reasons, but one is that darkness is unknown. We don't know what is in the dark, who or what is in the dark, and so our imaginations can run wild. When we cannot see, that gives birth to fear. Well, spiritually speaking, there are millions of people in the world right now that are in the darkness. And perhaps some in this room are in that camp as well. In fact, the Bible affirms that that is the default position for all human beings, spiritual darkness. And this could be very bad news. And because spiritual darkness, unlike being scared of the dark when you're a kid, spiritual darkness should always scare us. Why should it scare us? Because spiritual darkness is deceptive. We don't often know when we're in spiritual darkness that we are in the dark. We are blind to our own blindness. And that's why the words of Jesus in our passage today are so life-giving. Because there he reveals that he is the light of the world. And so if we want to make sense of this dark world, we need to learn how to follow the light. And that's what we're going to be confronted with today. And so the main argument of today's text is this, that the only way to get out of spiritual darkness is by following the light of the world. The only way to get out of spiritual darkness is by following the light of the world. Well, if you've been here for the past couple of weeks, and if you've been paying attention, you'll notice we skipped a passage, thinking like, what's going on? Last week, you ended at the end of chapter 7, and now you're all the way to verse 12 of chapter 8. Why did you skip the passage of the woman caught in adultery? I don't know how many of you were thinking that, but I'm going to answer the question for you in any case. It's because when John wrote his gospel, almost certainly this was not part of the original writing. This story about the woman caught in adultery was added later. None of the earliest manuscripts of the Greek New Testament have that story in it. In fact, it's placed in various different places within John's gospel and other part of the New Testament. Just It's kind of floated around in different manuscripts that were added later. And so the main point is that that story, though we love it, I love that story and what it teaches us about Jesus, it is not part of of Holy Scripture. And so we're not going to preach on it this morning because we're only preaching through what we believe is God's Word. And so you can have confidence that what you have in front of you is God's Word. That's why the translators have had the, put those kind of parentheses and brackets for you so that you can see with transparency that this book is a living, the living word of God, but it's also a book that is uh, tested by textual criticism, and we can uh, know that these are the very words of God by looking at actual manuscripts that we have throughout the world. So with that parenthesis, verse 12 of chapter 8 that starts our passage should be read right after verse 52 of chapter 7. 
And so if you were here last week, the setting is still the day of the last day of the Feast of Booths in Jerusalem. And remember, this was an annual festival, one of three annual festivals that all males were required to attend in Jerusalem. And this was a festival, the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles, when the people of God would remember God's provision for them in the wilderness, you know, the exodus and then the wilderness. This was a festival to remember that time. And with that context in mind, there are two claims within the text that support our main argument, which is this. The only way to get out of spiritual darkness is by following the light of the world. Here are the claims. First, Jesus is the light of the world. We see that in verses 12 to 20. And second, if you don't have the light, you will die in your sins. We see that in verses 21 to 30. And each one of these claims is debated by the religious leaders, while at the same time defended by Jesus. And we need to pay very close attention because in our current cultural moment, we need to be clear on these two claims because they are the keys to eternal life. And these claims are hotly debated today. Well, let's look at this first claim, that Jesus is the light of the world. Remember the setting, the the Feast of Booze. During the days of the feast, there was a lighting ritual where the priests would go up in the court of the women, and there were four large lamps. If you could picture four large lamps, and they would light these lamps And some scholars would say that these lamps, because it was in the temple and it was in Jerusalem, these four lamps would light up all of Jerusalem during the night. And so during the Feast of the Booze, we would see, if you were in this uh, festival, you would see these lamps lit up every single day. But then on the last and greatest day of the festival, these lamps were not lit. It was dark. But Jesus, it says he taught in the treasury, which was right around where the court of women was. Some people think he was right under the lamps when he makes this declaration on the last and greatest day of the festival. In verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So what is Jesus doing here? He is once again claiming to be the fulfillment of what the Feast of Booths was pointing to, what it was remembering, what it was looking forward to. He is saying that just as these lamps symbolized the presence of God, the fire of God that led God's people throughout the wilderness, so also he is the light of the world. And if anyone wants to know the way, they need to follow him. Every person on earth needs to do this, not just Israel. So remember, when the fire led the people of Israel, it was just that people. But now he's saying, I'm the light of the world, the whole earth needs to follow me to have eternal life. Well, this statement from Jesus has massive implications for us today. It means that Jesus is the light for all Muslims, all Buddhists, all Hindus, all the major religions of the world. Jesus is the light for all atheists and agnostics. Jesus is the light for secular people and religious people. Jesus is the light of the world. 
He's delight for every person in the world, and he's delight for every person in this room. Meaning that he is the way to life, to eternal, abundant life. Well, the clear implication from this claim that Jesus is the light of the world is it assumes another claim, which is this. If you don't follow him, you are in spiritual darkness. If you don't follow the light of the world, you are in spiritual darkness. This is the very type of statement that causes those within the world to recoil. They think, sure, Jesus might have part of the truth, but it's, you know, it's that analogy of the elephant. The truth is an elephant, and every word religion has a piece of it. No, Jesus is saying, hey, it's, you're not blind people with an elephant. I can tell you, I am the light of the world. You follow me. Many people today believe that each person can create their own truth. But Jesus debunks that with this statement. It doesn't allow for that. He is the light of the world. He determines truth. Well, you may be asking yourself, what right does Jesus have to make this kind of bold, exclusive claim? And if you're asking that, you're not alone, because the Pharisees also had a problem with it. Listen to verse 13. The Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself, and your testimony is not true. If you remember from previous weeks, according to their interpretation of God's law, you needed two witnesses to verify any kind of claim. That's what the Pharisees are appealing to here. And in his response to them, Jesus gives him two gives them two reasons as his defense. First, he appeals to his identity. Listen to verse 14. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I come from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. Jesus saying is that he, he's saying, I came from heaven, from the very presence of God, and he is saying that I am in fact God. Then he goes on, you judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. You see, the Pharisees judged according to outward appearances. They judged according to earthly standards. And so according to their judgment, Jesus was not fit to testify about himself, because he was just a man. Or at best, he was a prophet, but he was just a man. By contrast, Jesus says that he judges no one. By that, he means he doesn't judge anyone like the Pharisees do, which is according to the flesh, according to earthly standards, according to outward appearances. He's also referring to the fact when he came the first time, he came not to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And so while this is true, he doesn't judge according to how the Pharisees judge. Make no mistake about it, Jesus is a judge. Back in chapter 5, verse 22, we learn that the Father has given all judgment to the Son. Jesus, friends, is the judge of the entire world. He is a judge. And accordingly, he says, if he does judge, his judgment is true. It's always right and fair and comprehensive and accurate and it's backed up and confirmed by God the Father. He's in one accord with the Father. So Jesus is saying, I have the right to testify about myself 
because I have come from heaven. I am in fact God because my testimony aligns with the heavenly father. That's his first defense. Well, next Jesus appeals to the validity of his witnesses. Listen to verse 15. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. As I mentioned just a moment ago, the Jewish law, the Torah, in Deuteronomy 17 and Deuteronomy 19, really in the context of convicting a criminal, says you must have a witness, two or three witnesses, to justify a claim against someone. Now, the Pharisees had turned that on its head, and they're saying, if you want to make any claim, you need two or three witnesses. So he's saying, well, according to your law, this is what you need to do. But for Jesus, there can be no higher defense than saying, my two witnesses are two members of the Trinity. Talk about like winning an argument. You know, he's he's saying, my two witnesses, me, God the Son, and my Father, God the Father. You can't like get better than that. You know, he could have had the Spirit, which the Spirit does testify later in John as well. But he has two members of the Trinity to kind of defeat their argument. This is why I can testify, because we have two witnesses. It's me, God the Son, and my Father, God the Father. But the Pharisees don't seem satisfied with that kind of argumentation from Jesus. And they express their continued doubts again in verse 19. They said to him, therefore, well, where is your father? Like, kind of show us your father. Well, Jesus, once again, is very direct and to the point. He answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Well, here we we can tell that we're having a little miss of communication between Jesus and the Pharisees, which happened quite often. And if you've ever talked with someone and really not understood them, you'll kind of get a sense of what's going on. And thinking about this, I was thinking about conversations, if you were going to have a conversation with our two-year-old son. So if you were going to have a conversation with our two-year-old son and he said, I want Bilaba, what would you say? You would say, like, what in the world is Bilaba? Now, we know he's referring to water. He wants water. But Bilaba is water, you know. So we knew it's water. You guys have no clue until now. Now when he says Bilaba, you'll go get him some water. But that's kind of what's happening on a much greater scale between Jesus and the Pharisees. They are talking on different levels. They are not connecting here. You see, the Pharisees were on an earthly level. They're looking around for another man. Where's your father? Where's Joseph? Show us Joseph. They, they, they didn't realize that Jesus was talking on the heavenly, spiritual level. He was talking about God the Father. He's repeating what he told them earlier in John's gospel. He says, if you knew me, you would know my father. He's gone round and round with them on this before. And friends, Jesus doesn't mince words. He doesn't mince words in the gospels. If you want to know what God is like, look no further than Jesus. That's what he's saying. If you want to know what God is like, look no further than Jesus. Later in John's gospel, in chapter 14, he tells Philip simply this, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. The point is this. 
There is no such thing as knowing God if you don't believe in Jesus. It's not possible. The Pharisees thought that they knew God. They thought they could see clearly. They thought they were walking in the light. But Jesus is telling them that since they don't know him, they don't know God the Father and that they are walking in darkness. And so many people today are walking in darkness. They're in a similar position as the Pharisees. They're claiming to know God, but rejecting Jesus. Claiming to have a relationship with God, but not following his son. And if that's you this morning, do not be fooled. If you do not follow Jesus, this is what Jesus is saying, you are walking in darkness. If you don't follow Jesus, you are walking in darkness. Well, the last verse of this uh, first section of the text concludes in verse 20. These words he spoke in the treasury, which we've talked about, was near the court of the women where these lamps were, as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. This is quite amazing. Even in the presence of these men who want to kill him, no one arrests him. Because John inserts his hour had not yet come. John says this often throughout the gospel. He's trying to highlight the fact that Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection were all planned from God. No, no human could take Jesus' life. No human was in control. And as the men have been going through the book of Daniel on Wednesday mornings, we've been reminded of this. We've been reminded that God is in control of even the smallest details of our lives and the biggest details of human history. All of human history is in God's hands. And that's what John is trying to highlight in this verse 20. Well, as we seek to apply this section of the text before we get to the next claim, we need to ask this question. Do I believe that Jesus is the light of the world? Do you believe that Jesus is the light of the world? If your answer is no, if you do not believe he's the light of the world, you must face reality today. Jesus says that you are walking in spiritual darkness and that you do not know God. No matter how much you think you know God, if you do not follow the light, if you do not follow Jesus, you are in spiritual darkness. If your answer is yes, which is many of us, you do believe Jesus is the light, then fellow believer, I want you to consider, are you living as a child of the light? Are you walking in the light? In other words, how seriously are you taking Jesus' words to follow him? In his famous Sermon on the Mount, amazingly, Jesus calls us, his people, the light of the world. We, Hope Fellowship, are the light of the world. We are the ones that have the spirit of Jesus within us that are called to shine our light to a dark and needy world. So the question is, how am I shining the light of Jesus to those who are in darkness? There's people living in spiritual darkness unknowingly They don't know it many times all around you. 
You have family members, you have friends, you have coworkers, you have people at the checkout line. There are people everywhere that are walking in spiritual darkness. And if you believe Jesus is the light of the world, you have that light within you. How are you sharing that light? How are you shining for him? Well, after his first claim to be the light of the world, Jesus makes a second claim, which is if you do not have the light, you will die in your sins. And as we'll see, when Jesus is working on your heart, there's no benefit in delaying a response to him. Back when I was in college, I had a good friend who had some form of belief in Jesus, but I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, yeah, I'm going to start following Jesus when I get a little older. I I need to have a little fun first, and then I'm going to start following Jesus. Well, friends, that is devilish thinking, because as humans, we always think we'll have more time But tomorrow is not promised to us. When Jesus is speaking to you, if he is speaking to you right now, do not delay in obeying him. Do not delay in responding to him. Jesus confronts the Pharisees with this reality in verse 21. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Wow, what chilling words from Jesus. Are there any more chilling words from the mouth of Jesus? You will die in your sin, and where I am going, you cannot come. There are never words you want to hear coming from the mouth of Jesus to you. The point is, is that if you do not believe in Jesus, and if you continue in not believing in Jesus until you die, You will not go to heaven. You will not experience eternal life, period. And tragically, those listening to Jesus, they're not frightened by this statement. They're not alarmed. In fact, some scholars think that they were having a joke at Jesus' expense here in verse 22. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says where I'm going, you cannot come When it comes to life and death matters today, there are many people that don't take it seriously. Many people that think everything is a joke, but they fail to understand reality, much like the Jews in this passage, who are very smug in their unbelief. Jesus, in his kindness, in his compassion, he tries to explain it in another way in verse 23. He said to them, you are from below. He's like breaking it down for him. You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Here Jesus is just repeating what he's been saying to these religious leaders throughout the gospel, that he is from above, meaning that he is from heaven. He's sent from God the Father, and they, on the other hand, are from below. They're from the earth. They think in earthly ways. But then Jesus gives them the truth as directly as he can in verse 24, once again. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Did you catch those words? Jesus is making it crystal clear. For them, 
and for us. Unless you believe that I am he, literally in the Greek, it's ego and me. Unless you believe I am. Meaning, unless you believe I am. I'm the I am of Exodus 3.14. The one who is revealed to Moses. Unless you believe that I am God, you will die in your sins. And friends, this is Jesus explaining the very bad news of the gospel. The bad news is that if you do not believe in Jesus and you remain in that unbelief, you will remain in darkness forever. You will die in your sins. It means you will not go with Jesus to heaven. Instead, you will experience the reality of God's wrath and judgment for your sins for all time. It's what the Bible calls hell for all eternity. It's not a joke, but the Jews still don't get it. They're revealing their spiritual blindness. They're revealing their darkness, their inability to see who Jesus is. Listen to verse 25. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you. I have much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. Jesus has repeated this time and time again. As we've gone through John's gospel, you know that. He has told them. He has claimed equality with God. That's why they sought to kill him back in chapter 5, because he was claiming equality with God. But perhaps they've forgotten all that. They have amnesia. They've forgotten. They don't understand. They're spiritually blind. Paul describes this kind of spiritual blindness in his letter to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, he says that the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the hearts of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ. And friends, perhaps you've shared with someone who doesn't yet know Jesus, and it just seems like Man, we had a great conversation. The next time you come back to him, it's like nothing happened at all. Like the truth was just snatched away. The reality is there is a blindness. There's a blindness of our own heart because of our sin. There's a blindness that the enemy has blinded our hearts. People are in darkness. They're showing their blindness again in verse 27. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. Well, Jesus gives them one more chance in verse 28. He says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak as the Father taught me. Well, if we just had the bad news of the gospel... Here we get the good and glorious news of the gospel. Because Jesus is foretelling the time when the Jews will finally kill him. When they will lift him up. The son of man on the cross. And what the religious leaders thought would end their annoyance would actually be the greatest victory in the history of the world. Because the cross is where Jesus dealt with the world's sins once for all. It's where Jesus endured the deep darkness of God's wrath against our sin 
where he made a complete and perfect payment on our behalf. And so what Jesus is saying is, yes, you will send me to the cross. You will lift me up. But he's also saying, I'm going to be lifted up when I'm raised on the third day, and I will be glorified. And then you will know the truth that I am he. Now, this doesn't mean that all the religious leaders are going to become Christians. Uh, But we do learn later in John's gospel in chapter 12 that many authorities will believe in him. And we'll remember a Pharisee, Nicodemus, does believe in him at the end of the story. Charles Spurgeon once said that the same sun that melts wax hardens clay. And the same gospel that melts some people to repentance hardens others in their sins. And that's what we see happening here in the text. There are and that's what we hear, see happening in our lives today. That same gospel will melt hearts. And if you know and love Jesus, your heart has been melted by the gospel. But that same gospel will harden others like clay. They'll be hardened in their sin like some of these religious leaders. And since that is the case, we need to remember that belief is really a spiritual battle. It's not just about making a decision for Jesus. There are forces beyond our control that are blinding us or calling us to the Lord. And so we need to pray. We need to pray that God would open eyes, open hearts, and that his spirit would pursue people with the gospel, that it might melt their hearts and not harden them like clay. Well, friends, as we think about the cross we need to remember the beauty of the gospel because the the cross represents the beauty of the gospel. It represents that when we were at our worst, when we had done our worst, Jesus died for us. Jesus paid the penalty for us. He died for sinners like you and for me. I want us to think just for a moment about the honesty of Jesus, the love of Jesus, and the patience of our Lord. Here he is lovingly warning us in this passage about what will happen if we do not believe in him. At the same time, he is reminding us of his triumph on the cross. He wants us to remember that he alone is the light of the world, who defeated the darkness of sin and death and Satan on the cross. And he also defeated the darkness that dwelt in our hearts. If you believe this, praise the Lord again today for your salvation. We're going to have a time to remember what the Lord did for us as we take of communion. But if there is someone here who has not yet believed, or you are running in the other direction from Jesus. Let today be the day that you repent of your sin. Remember, the day of salvation is now. You don't, tomorrow is not promised to you. Trust in Christ today. Well, once again, Jesus is showing his intimate relationship with God the Father in verse 29. He says, he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So if you know and love Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, remember that it is his record 
not your own, his record that is yours before the Father. His record of always doing the things that are pleasing to the Father is now yours. You get his record of always walking in the light. When you have trusted in Christ, your record was canceled and Jesus' record becomes yours. It's, a, it's an amazing truth. You're, it means that your relationship with God is secure. If you had a bad day, your relationship with God is secure because it's based on what he did, not on what you have done. So rejoice today that he has set you free from the power and the penalty of sin, the bondage of sin. He has set you free from that, that he has lifted you up out of the darkness and into his kingdom of light. Well, our passage, it ends in verse 30 with the following statement. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. And at first glance, this seems really encouraging. Wow, many people believed in Jesus. But next week, as Jared's preaching, we'll see that this belief was not necessarily rooted in a true desire to follow Jesus. It was the type of belief that we saw in John chapter 2, where Jesus wouldn't entrust himself to the people who had believed. It was a shallow belief that did not last when tested. You see, true belief in Jesus is not in... It's not a moment of emotional exuberance. It's not a, a camp experience. It's not a time where you just walk down the aisle because you feel a certain way. True belief in Jesus will endure. You will remain if you truly believe in Jesus. So if you are relying on one of those other things, that one moment, but then your life never changed, I'd invite you to really repent and trust in Jesus today. Well, as we seek to apply this section of the text, there's a temptation for those of us who have believed in Jesus for a long time, which is many of us, we can take for granted what it's like to live in the light. We can forget what it was like to live in the darkness. Maybe you came to Christ when you were a child and you didn't have any recollection of what it was like to live in spiritual darkness. We can forget about the spiritual battle that rages within people's hearts. We can forget the joy and the peace that we have. And we go about our lives seemingly indifferent to a, a world that is in darkness, that is perishing. If that is the case for you, remember when you feel opposition to the gospel, when you feel like people are against you, remember the words that we learned back in John chapter 3, it says the light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness more than the light because their deeds were evil. Why do people get offended when you share about Christ? Because they love their deeds. They don't want to have their deeds exposed. They know their deeds are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. They hate Jesus. They don't come to the light lest their deeds be exposed. So once again, we need to pray that the Spirit would open up our eyes, open up our eyes to the spiritual darkness all around us, that we may not go and be comfortable in our light. A lot of Christians are kind of like running together in light, but they don't even know the darkness all around them. They don't even know people 
who are in the darkness. That should never be. We need to shine our light. So we need to pray that our eyes would be open. We also need to pray that the Spirit would work on those in spiritual darkness. Because they hate the light, because they know their deeds are evil. They need the gospel to melt their hearts by this Holy Spirit of God. Well, as we close, I want you to consider once again your response to Jesus' claim. He says he's the light of the world. When you hear those words that Jesus is the light of the world, are you doubtful? Are you ashamed? Or are you empowered and encouraged by those words? Friends, Jesus is the light for everyone in the world. Everyone, no exceptions. This is great news for all those who are in darkness. Some of them don't know it's great news yet, but the Lord can convince them of it. And so as we close, I want you to think, who is he calling you to share this news with? To let the light of Christ shine upon, the light of Christ within you. Who could you share this with? How can you let your light shine? How can we, as Hope Fellowship, let our light shine? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are amazed that you, the light of the world, Jesus Christ, you would come down into darkness and save people who were your enemies, save those who were hostile to you and die for those who grateful that we are counted, those of us who know and love Jesus, we are counted among those who have been counted not guilty, who have your righteousness. Open our eyes, Lord, to those all around that are still walking in spiritual darkness. For any this morning who are in darkness or are unsure whether or not they're in the light, I pray that you would melt their hearts by the truth of the gospel today. And I pray that in the name and authority of our Lord Jesus. Amen.